This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue the programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essif, Archbishop George Lucas, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that Faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue our conversation with Archbishop George Lucas discussing Sancrosanctum Concilium, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. You brought up the importance of being able to understand what's happening in the Mass for the lay faithful in particular, and that would involve language for many people, that the ability to be able to hear the readings, to be able to even hear the priest and offering up the prayers, which are prayers given for everyone and have a, a tremendous ability to be able to help us enter into that mystery that that language needed to be something that addressed in the Mass. And that was a source of a lot of conversation with the Council Fathers, wasn't it? Right, still a source of a lot of conversation. Yeah, so I think that, uh, as we read the documents, you know, the, it seems the Fathers were envisioning that more of the Mass would be experienced in, in the vernacular, but not necessarily all of it. So I think they envisioned that Latin would still be a significant portion of the Sunday experience of, of most Catholics. And as it's turned out, in most places, that's not the case. Again, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the, and the Holy Father, uh, as time went on, this seemed to be, um, it, it seemed to be that, that the, the entirety of the Mass celebrated in the language of the people was both desired and, and good. You know, partly for our understanding, that, that's true, and, and partly for our participation. Uh, there could be opportunities for the people to respond in a way that was intelligible to them and could be heartfelt, you know, because they could understand it. That's important. Again, to go back to that noble simplicity, words are strong symbols. They mean something. They, are, they represent something. And just as the altar is, represents so much more than just a table, it, it is anointed, it is... It represents Golgotha for us. It is the place of sacrifice. And it, there's so much more to every element. So it, even um, the statuary or the music that's played in the Mass, 
all of those elements are fostered for that full and active participation of everyone gathered in that sacred moment. Yeah, the, the Constitution addresses a lot of those things because, it, as you say, we create an experience, sounds to me like a lightweight word, but um, the, the architecture of the church, the sacred art, the music that uh, surrounds the Mass and, and assists our participation, the, um, even the way that the church is arranged, uh, all of those things play a part in drawing us into the mystery that, that we celebrate, that is available to us here, draws us beyond here into uh, a connection with the heavenly liturgy and fills us with the certain hope that our salvation is assured in the mystery of Jesus Christ if we will accept it and, and participate in it. Yeah, that, that mystery is something that I think for many people it is something that we can be awed by, and, but it also is something that we're called to be a part of. And so there's, you know, there's a, a movement that's happening there. And that's, I think, why it's so important so that we don't become just an audience. And the church, it seems in the Constitution, the sacred liturgy wants that to be totally dispelled, that the fact that we would be a, an audience, essentially, at this, one of these great celebrations. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. The term audience is a little bit crass to describe what the experience was before the council. You know, people came in great numbers and very faithfully and came to pray. But often it was private devotion that was the experience of the people at the Mass. The Mass was going on, but they were praying the rosary or other devotional prayers, maybe going to confession. Confessions were routinely heard in the church while all Mass was going on. Again, not a bad thing. None of those things were, were bad. But the, what should be our, our main focus, particularly at the Sunday liturgy, but whenever we come to Mass, it was often just not the main focus for a variety of reasons that weren't malicious. To pick up on that term of audience, I think what we want to say about our life in Christ in general is that it's not for spectators. It's for participants in every aspect, in our living, in our praying, in our relations with one another, and then particularly in our participation in the sacred liturgy. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to be all in. And he issues this invitation in several places in the gospel. You know, we think of the rich young man. You know, Jesus, he's got, his life is in pretty good shape. Many of us could say that too, but, but there's more for him. A deeper relationship, a deeper understanding, deeper participation, more sacrifice on his part in, in union with the, with the sacrifice of, of Jesus. So that's the, that's the experience that, that really is offered to all of us. Again, I, there are a variety of ways that, that happens, but certainly the, the hope of, of the council is that the, the sacred liturgy would be right at, at the heart of that, that we would desire to come to Mass, and that when we do, we would be all in, Here, listening, praying, offering ourselves in in union with the Lord. Some days it's better than others. You know, we all know that. We're more attentive. Uh, other times we can be distracted, whatever. But we try to, we, we come as we are, but we should come. First of all, be there, but then really give ourselves to what the priest is is leading. Uh, and we sometimes say, you know, leading it on our behalf, but, but really we're, the Mass is designed for a congregation, designed to be celebrated with all of us, uh, as fully engaged as we possibly can. Yeah, this will bring us right back to when we originally began the conversation on this, on the Paschal Mystery. One thing that the, this beautiful 
Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, brings forth is our connection with the great communion of saints, with the church suffering, all of us around the world, not just the faithful that are connected in our local parish, but also throughout the entire world. This is an action that transcends time. And that's why all of it, not just the Mass, but every sacramental encounter that we engage in or are a part of or participate in, that's the great mystery, isn't it? And that's what they are trying to emphasize. Yeah, and that's not just our imagination. It's our reality and really part of the joy of our of our Catholic faith. And, you know, as we listen to the words of the Eucharistic prayer, so the central prayer of the, of the Mass, we're reminded of those things. We're reminded of our part in the communion of saints. We're reminded of, the, of those who have gone before us in faith. We're reminded of the Holy Father and the, the Church uh, throughout the world. We pray union with Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world, for, for everybody. The Lord has died for everyone. And, and so I think I have the opportunity to be more aware of that now that the words of the Eucharistic prayer are, are prayed by the priest in English, in our case, or whatever the language, of, because we're drawn into, into this prayer that unites us with the communion of saints and with our brothers and sisters around the world. You know, there's an interesting experience that only really you and your brother bishops can speak to is the requirement, essentially, of the local implementation of the liturgical norms within your, your, your flock. You're the shepherd, and the church essentially is giving to you a great deal of, I hate the word power, but it, it essentially is the power to help provide for the community what that community, your community, needs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the responsibility of, of exercising a sanctifying office in, in the church that's given to, to bishops. We share it with our, uh, with our parish uh, priests. It's the work of, of Jesus uh, primarily. But as you read the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, we notice that there is a, an anticipation that local conferences of bishops, so a national conference, for example, w- would have some responsibility for approving the norms for how the liturgy will be celebrated in that particular country, always in union with and sometimes with the approval of the Holy See, so it's depending on what the norms are. So even though the, again, the, the, the Council Fathers anticipated that the experience of the liturgy would vary in terms of language and type of music, type of architecture, for example, in, in different places in, in the world. It's the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and, and it, it is the responsibility of the, of the Holy Father and the bishops to hold it all together, not have everybody marching in lockstep, we might say, but having a, a real and valid participation in the Paschal mystery in the way that the church understands that should be done. In most cases, you know, the bishop doesn't have discretion over too many of these things, but has the stewardship of it, you might say, and the responsibility, for, along with the priests of the diocese, for seeing to it that the liturgical rites are celebrated properly, fully, with as much reverence and with as much richness as, as we can pull together. A remarkable thing about the ritual the aspect of the church is that if you were to open up the Roman Missal, you would see the number of beautiful options that a given you know presider would have just to be able which prayers you can pick, which different readings can be done given the, the context of the liturgical year. There's a special feast. The point of, that I'm trying to make is that 
it is not so rigid as some might think that it doesn't allow for the action of the Holy Spirit to be working within the local community. Well, all these options are, are part of our tradition. So they're not novelties. One of the outcomes of the Second Vatican Council is what we might say is a thicker Roman Missal, and it's certainly the, the lectionary. So this, the readings that are offered for the Sunday Masses, but also that are available for, for weekday Masses, give us a much broader exposure to, to the sacred scriptures, which was a central aim of the, of the Council Fathers. So we experienced two things at the same time. We experienced this, the sameness of the Mass, you might say, the consistency of it, the, we become familiar with it, so that we can participate. You know, we don't come to mass, and every time it's a whole experience. So the structure, the basic flow of it, you might say, is the same, both from week to week, but also in different places in the world. The language may be different, but we can easily recognize it. But there is also a richness that we hope will keep it from becoming routine. That it's not simply we're not simply hearing the, exactly the same scriptures or the same text of the prayers week after week after week or day after day. Again, it's a, there's a richness of freshness and a change of tone and focus as the liturgical seasons change. It's lovely when we can hear just a, a response of a community that says, holy, holy, holy Lord, or sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Again, that's the vernacular, say in our particular case in English, is absolutely lovely. The response of Latin, knowing that sanctus means holy, is also very lovely, as long as it's done with noble simplicity. Again, that was the desire of the Council Fathers that Latin be preserved, even when Mass is celebrated in the, the language of the people, that we also use common parts of the Mass that can easily be learned and understood by people in, uh, in Latin. That hope, would, I think, was not realized very much for a long time. Most of the Latin was pushed out, you might say, but more and more now, and I experience it in parishes, I'm happy that I do, that parish choirs and, and parish congregations have learned these beautiful responses or acclamations. They're easy enough, and we, we do know what they mean, so it's not simply parroting something. I mean, even Kyrie eleison Christe eleison is Greek. I, somebody said to me, well, that's an example of Latin. I went, eh, not yeah. so much, but that's okay. That's okay, because in our heart, we know, we know, hopefully, you know what you're saying. Well, as we were saying before, it connects us to our tradition. It connects us to people around the world who are praying or singing in the same way. And it's the beauty and the challenge of our Catholic faith, where we have a variety of experiences of Catholic life because of culture and age and all kinds of things all around the world. And so there are necessarily differences, uh, superficial differences, but important ones, but also important similarities in how we experience and celebrate the liturgy. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more? And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find 
discerning hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, or Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Again, the, there is a ritual structure, though, that I know you've experienced this as well as I have, the experience of a Eucharistic celebration, the Mass, in Guatemala, and their particular form, given their cultural experience, is as holy and as sacred and as joy-filled as something that looks different, say, maybe in the Midwest United States, but essentially it has the same ritual and the structure and is the same grace and presence that's flowing from it, doesn't it? Yeah, yes, and it's the same. It's, it's beautiful that there's the opportunity to encounter the risen Lord personally, really, in, in the Mass, whether you're in Guatemala or whether you're in Omaha or, or wherever else you might be. It's the, the beautiful sign of, of God's love for us, that, that we're not out of reach and we're not disqualified be, you know, because of culture or, or geography. So it's the, 
the commission Jesus gave to the apostles, first of all, that it's continued to remains the commission given to the church, is, is that we bring the light of the gospel and the experience of the risen Jesus to as many places and as many people as we possibly can. Yeah, and also that those, just to touch a little bit more on the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy, it also has us look at the different rituals and celebrations of the other sacraments. A, a big example right there is the anointing of the sick, which at prior to the Council was known as extreme unction, was only given to people primarily before as known as last rites at the time of their death, and in some cases, even after they died, before the council. So th- they looked at all aspects, didn't they? Yeah, right. So, I, I mean, that's, you give one example, but really all of the, the rites of all of the sacraments have, have been revised. They're celebrated in English, for one thing. There's a prominent experience of the sacred scripture in the celebration of, of the sacraments. And the participation of those who are Experiencing the sacraments, receiving the sacraments, we say, has been increased in courage. So again, I'm having lived through that difference. I, you know, remember the the change. I mean, so for example, when you know, when I went to confession as a kid, I told my sins in English. That's, that was the only language that I knew. But and the priest spoke back in English uh, briefly. But but the absolution was given in in Latin. The sacrament of baptism is a beautiful moment, of course, in the life of, of any of us. But that. Of course, not celebrated very readily in the language of the people. Scripture is part of it. But the parents and godparents participate by being there. Uh, but, but they have uh, parts of the prayers to say and, and, and actions to perform and, and so forth. So it's, the renewal it was brought to each of the, of the liturgical rites, the, the Mass and, and the sacraments, the Liturgy of the Hours, as well as the Divine Office. The structure of it was altered a little bit, again, to make it a little more user-friendly, you might say offered by most of us in the language that is our daily language, not, you know, not in Latin. Can we say, too, that with baptism, it, that's a great example of the principles and foundations, as it were, of the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy, that over the next several decades, there would be this flowering of what baptism, the mystery of it, but also how can we prepare people for it so that they can enter into full and active participation in all elements of the Church. Right, so we continue the practice of baptism of infants, of course, when parents request that and, and when they're prepared to raise the child in the life of the church. But the council also foresaw the restoration of what we now call the rite of Christian initiation for adults. And in some ways, it's one of the powerful impacts of the council that we see in so many of our parishes, a preparation for baptism that is not only instructional, but also liturgical, that involves the one who, the catechumen, the, the elect, as they, they approach the Easter mysteries, involve them in the prayerful life of, of the church and in the experience of the community of the church in a limited way, necessarily because they haven't uh, yet been, been initiated. But after that, they're, as they come into the church, they're already known, that they feel part of the parish community. They are, and then can take their full place at, at the Eucharistic liturgy. Well, in future conversations, we'll talk about the wonderful instruction, guidance, insights on sacred scripture that the church will give us in Dave Erebum. But it all has its, it, it's really, it's, it's anchoring within the constitution of the sacred liturgy. You touched upon that earlier in the conversations we've had. But that is a significant, significant outcome is the awareness and incorporation of even more scripture within our liturgy. 
right? Again, before the council, there would, in the celebration of the sacraments, it wouldn't have been the experience of most people. It was there in sort of a small form. Uh, readings were proclaimed at Mass, but there were a limited number that were used at the Sunday Masses. They were, uh, by necessity, proclaimed, spoken. We couldn't even hear them in, in Latin. And then in the years leading up to the council, often the readings were then done again in English at the beginning of the sermon, so pe- people could hear them. So there were already a desire for this, you know, and you could you could see it in some places. But now it's it's more firmly established in the liturgical rites that the, the scriptures be opened and, and proclaimed. In particular for the, as I said, we have a developed a lectionary for Mass, so a cycle of, of scripture readings that really expose the, the regular Catholic who, who comes to Mass on, on Sunday, exposes us to uh, the breadth of the teachings of the sacred scriptures, really God's plan for our salvation, both from from the Old Testament and and the New Testament. It's hard to believe now, experiencing the liturgy as we do, that the the scripture would have been such a small part or even not much of the experience of of the liturgy uh, before the council. So that that had been a loss, you know, and and nobody did that maliciously. But over time, there was a some of a reaction to the Protestant Reformation, but, but both in terms of our liturgical celebrations, but, but also in terms of our study and, and teaching, we had uh, really neglected to expose ourselves to the richness of Scripture, where, where we meet the risen Jesus, the, the word of the Lord, is encountered in a very real way in the Scriptures. And we may even be at a point where a, a generation or two outside of the council and even that other experience of the liturgy that we may be taking for granted the sacredness that's already there, that has been provided for us, where some may feel that some of that element was taken away, that it's not as holy or it doesn't represent something more transcendental. In actuality, there is more. There is even greater. We just may not have looked as, I just think of St. Benedict, the eyes of our hearts. Yeah, and certainly the intention of the Council Fathers that we experience more. And then we'd be drawn more deeply into the experience of the Paschal mystery, which is ultimately sacred. So it's up to us, though, in every place and in every generation to give the attention, the reverence, the prayerfulness to our participation in, in the liturgy. It's up to the priests and the bishops. It's, it's up to others who we engage in this, people who direct the uh, sacred music or who proclaim the, the scriptures at, at Mass. So we all need to reflect on the, the mystery that we celebrate. We all need to prepare uh, to, to participate each in, in our own way, so that we that we see to it <laughs> that it, it's sacred because God has provided it for, uh, for us, but that we acknowledge the sacredness of it, and then we act like this is a life-changing experience, that our life depends on this, and that our, our lives, our actions, the whole rest of the week really will be touched by, colored by, we hope, in a beautiful and sacred way, our participation in, in the liturgy. And then as we're going through our week, with its ups and downs and trying to follow Jesus, we fall short, of course, sadly. But that we look forward to bringing that all back with us to, to this sacred encounter with the Lord and one another around the altar at the next Sunday Mass. I would highly recommend people who may have, for whatever reason or whatever outlet, may have heard something negative about a constitution on the sacred liturgy or anything, quite honestly, that flows out of Vatican II, as you've recommended, go back and read it. Don't be afraid. Maybe that's a good thing that can come out of anyone who is trying to understand, to go back and to trust and go back and read it, because it, it has answers right there, doesn't it? Right. Well, and, and Pope Francis has, has well pointed out to us recently, you know, that we, we shouldn't 
allow the liturgy to be a source of factions for us in the church. It's the place where we're drawn together in, in Christ and it's an experience of our unity. So there, because the experience of the Mass was very set and comment was not invited, really in the, in the years before the Council, as, as I recall, now people take it seriously. We've asked that we do that. And so we have opinions about it and about how it's celebrated. We shouldn't let that distract us from our own preparation, our own prayerfulness, but our, also our working together You know, to make it, to the extent that we have control over it, make it a, a beautiful, reverential experience of the mysteries of, of our faith. And that's a project that's never, never really finished. We also have to be patient. The liturgy is alive because it's people. Jesus is alive and he's drawing all of us together. So sometimes the experience for any one of us, sometimes it's better than others in, in human terms. Sometimes the music's better. Sometimes the HVAC is just the right temperature. Sometimes the lecture is, is well prepared and very clear and the sound system's working and all that. Sometimes those things all go well and sometimes they go haywire through nobody's fault. So we need to be patient with each other as the Lord is with us without at all being careless or, 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 or casual. We're on our way. As other documents point out, you know, we're in the council, from the council, we're a pilgrim people. On the journey of our faith together, there are some, some ups and downs. But the, the central truth is that the Lord is with us. And our desire should, of course, always to be with him. I'll admit there are times when I've experienced speed, bum, speed bumps in not only what I may see others doing or anything that's happening in liturgy, but also how I've come to church or how I've come to the Mass and the attitudes and things. And I might be disgruntled, and I can always hear my grandmother still to this day saying in my ear, Chrissy, just offer it up. Offer it up. <laughs> and I, I wonder if we do that very often. Yeah, well, good advice. When we come to Mass, because it's the offering of Jesus to our Heavenly Father is happening now, and we're, we're being drawn into it. And we don't have anything to give except what we have, <laughs> you know, who we are, and, and, and we can offer it up. But it's, it's important that, that we remember that we don't come together Mass to show off to God or anybody else that we're perfect. We come because we're sinners. We come looking for the Savior. Beautifully, we experience he's come looking for us. And the power of his life-giving death and resurrection is opened up for us in the sacred liturgy in our participation. So we're, it's not forced on us. We have a part in it. Uh, the power comes from Jesus, but the willingness has to come from us to, to be part of it. It's a whole church full of sinners. We, do, we don't need the Mass if we don't if we're not sinners, we acknowledge it right at the beginning of the Mass always that we've sinned. I don't say that lightly, but we're sinners anyway, period. How beautiful to know that we're able to, to come to be with the Lord who only wants to save us and, and give us life. Any final thoughts on the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy? As you did, I would encourage our listeners to read it because it teaches us as much as anything about the, the meaning of the Sacred Liturgy and its central importance our life as, as Catholics. We know that the participation weekly in Sunday Mass among Catholics, that that's declining you know, in terms of percentages, has been for decades. We know that it's easy enough for any of us to be distracted and to see the celebration of Sunday Mass as one activity among so many in a, in a busy weekend. So I would encourage that the reading of the document as a, a way of allowing ourselves to be renewed in our understanding of the central importance of the sacred liturgy for Catholics and particularly of the, of the Sunday Mass so that we don't miss anything of what the Lord desires uh, to, to give us. A lot is asked of us 
as disciples of Jesus Christ, and in, in, in particularly in our current current age and and time. But so much is offered to us, and much more than we could ever claim or, or expect on our own. The Source and Summit, Sacred Liturgy. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Yes, thanks, Chris. God bless you. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.